This is the Software and Technology Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. The more diversity of thought of the people working at tech companies, the better. The blockchain idea was around 91, the same idea of in the digital world, we need verifiable documents. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Market Scale Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode. Make sure that you are heading to our website, marketscale.com industries for more technology industry content. And make sure you're subscribing as well to all of our podcast channels on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for a full network of that. Make sure to check out our podcast network on our site. So on today's episode of the Technology Podcast, we're continuing some ongoing conversations that we've had on the show with Schubler Technologies about model aviation, electric ducted fans, and the art and science of building, competing with scaled jets. We've highlighted some professionals in model aviation on the podcast, and today's highlighted guest is a real treat. We're joined by Brett Becker. He's an expert and award-winning model aviator with over 30 years of experience in the field. Brett is joining us to walk through his storied history in model aviation and competition, but more importantly, we're going to unpack how he conceptualizes and builds his jet models, what technologies he uses, and why he often goes with Schubler to support his models. Brett Becker, great to have you on. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks again for joining us and looking forward to unpacking all of this content here with you today. Uh, So let's start by just learning a little bit more about you and your career. So you've been in model aviation for over 30 years. And of course, you've seen the hobby evolve over this period of time. What first got you into the hobby of jet modeling? To be honest, I think what got me into my interest in jets in general was seeing the movie Top Gun as a kid. That kind of changed my life. And after that, it was it was being able to see the Blue Angels and the the Thunderbirds at uh, air shows. And then that slowly evolved into getting into to model airplanes. And over the years, they've just become cre- increasingly complex. And now you can actually make models of those jets that you dreamed about as a kid. Love that. And in those 30 years that you've been developing your craft and participating in this community, um, how have you seen different aspects of the space change? And I'll get a little more specific. Let's start with just the community itself, the people that are participating in the sort of events or um, tangential networks that support the community or are involved uh, you know, with the design process or otherwise. How have you seen that community change in the last 30 years? Sure, so my God, it, it has changed so much. So prior to the internet, the way that you would find out what was the latest and greatest was either going to trade shows or reading the most recent magazine that was you know, on the shelves at a magazine stand or bookstore. And at that time, the only way to make a jet-powered model was to use a, a combustion engine. So they would, you know, they would hide that inside the airplane, and that would be attached to the the rotor inside. And over the years, 
not only have turbine powered aircraft evolved in models, but also converting that combustion engine to electric, which makes them much more reliable, allows the airplanes to survive so much longer. And uh, that, that allows a modeler to put more time and invest more effort into the airplane. So back 20, 30 years ago, there was a very small community of people who were actually willing to put all of that effort into a, into a model that might not even survive its first couple of flights. And nowadays, you can be uh, fairly early in the hobby with very little experience and buy something off the shelf and be successful. Dig in a little bit more into the technology as well. How has it changed over the last 30 years to increase accessibility and uh, increase performance? Sure. I first met Daniel Schubler probably in the... Gosh, it was either in the, the late 90s or maybe early 2000s. And that was when he traveled to San Diego to an event called the Midwinter Electrics. And it's an all-electric competition, or it's more of a fun fly. And people come from all over to kind of show the latest and the greatest. And he was one of the very few people at that time to have an electric ducted fan, which is what is most common nowadays. And he came with a custom fan that was Schubler fan, but also a custom airplane. And it was called the Vector. Nobody had really seen anything like this in terms of its performance. It was brushless powered, meaning that um, the motor itself was very unique um, and that it didn't need brushes. And the brushes fatigue over time and you have to replace them. And the new technology didn't even use them. I'm not sure whether he had lithium powered batteries, but that was kind of right there on the horizon. And using lithium powered batteries there, first of all, they're, they're much lighter. And because they're lighter, you can get more performance or increased endurance or both. So he was able to put on an incredible high speed flight that his, his flight time was longer than anybody. And that was just kind of like what what we could see as the future is what was going to come. And that has happened and now it's more accessible. You can get lithium power batteries. The, the cost has come down and it's just allowed the average modeler to be able to, to have that performance and make it affordable. We'll get into uh, some of your specific builds here in a bit, but since you started doing jet modeling have you seen a rising interest in using electric ducted fans or edfs in model jet builds why or why not how have you seen that technology specifically sort of integrate itself a little bit more into the scene sure the first remote control jets were powered by combustion engines basically rc airplane engines that were designed for pylon racing. So they spun really fast. They turned a really high RPM and they used high nitro fuel, which made them very temperamental. And that was the only way to do it. And over the last 20 years, those have almost exclusively been phased out. The only people who do it are just interested in the challenge because electrics have not only exceeded the performance of the gas-powered engines, but 
also they're more reliable. So you don't have to mess with needle valves, you don't have to deal with the carburetor, you don't have to deal with air in the fuel tank. All you do is plug your battery in and generally if it works for the first flight, there's very little to go wrong over time. So they don't really fatigue even if these are even if these high performance electric fans are spinning 30 30,000 RPM, they can do that for years. I mean, hundreds of flights without any problems. So it has changed a lot. Now, on larger scale jets, many are turbine powered these days. So let's say above 30 pounds, any airplane mostly above 30 pounds is most frequently turbine powered. Now, the electrics really dominate a market of models that are smaller than that, for the most part, they're much more convenient. You can fit them in your car. You don't have to deal with fuel like a turbine jet would. And so for the, for the average modeler, electric powered airplanes are a very convenient way of taking a day off on the weekend, going to the field, having a couple batteries charged and going out there and having fun and not having to be working on the airplane at the field. You can go out there and plan on flying. So those are really the two segments of jets right now. Now, there is a trend in that electrics are getting bigger and Schubler makes some ducted fans which are larger than any other manufacturer that I'm aware of. They are very high end and they can power airframes that you would think that only jet-powered turbine aircraft would otherwise be able to fly. And those, those are absolutely incredible and they're very high-end, but again, they are very efficient and uh, reliable. For you personally, how have uh, EDFs and their tangential supporting technology expanded the scope of what modeled scale jets can be and do for you specifically as you've conceived your projects? There is no question that electric ducted fan technology is enabling modelers to take on jet aircraft, whether it be for scale competition or for, you know, just custom designers, uh, that they are able to make model airplanes that would have never previously been possible. That's due to the weight of these systems and the reliability, for example, you know, we'll, we'll get into some of my projects, but airplanes that have a high mortality rate, you know, you realize that that there is a chance that that they will crash. And so you want to reduce all of the variables or as many as possible to try to be successful. And having something that you can rely on changes where you put your focus. If you feel like you can rely on a power system, well, that allows you to focus in on another aspect of the model that might be challenging, such as airplanes that are difficult to fly or airplanes that are designed to go really fast or um, airplanes that are supposed to be in the air for a really long time. And having this new technology allows you to rely on the power system and to focus in on the other things that previously weren't possible. 
So let's get more specific on your project now that we've kind of landed here with the conversation. Uh, when you approach your model builds, other than EDF technology, what are some key considerations that influence how you conceptualize the design and uh, how you conceptualize sort of the, the end goal of what that jet is going to do? So there's the goals for model airplane. There's really no limit. And what might motivate one modeler might not impact another. A common one is how big is your car? Can you fit the airplane in your car? In some cases, it might be what can I take in the overhead compartment of a of an airliner if you're traveling across country and you want to be able to take your model airplane with you. So sometimes you might have to build an airplane extremely small or make it so that it can be taken apart to fit in to a certain space. For scale competition, you want to design an airplane that is accurate to the full scale and to be able to have all of your electronics and all of your power systems and your landing gear and things that can that need to fit in it and that will determine how big your airplane is also how heavier you have to consider how light you need to build the airframe for it to take multiple fan units or to have a parachute for when you land or to have little pilots who sit up front and they all have to be balanced because the airplane has a balance point. So you have to distribute that weight appropriately if the airplane's going to fly right. I think some of the most difficult projects are those that are pushing technology to the limit. So that could be, for example, high-speed flight or endurance. That really means you need to have the best of everything. You need to have a an efficient airframe, a light airframe, structurally strong enough, but not too strong, just strong enough, um, and also a very efficient power system. In my case, for the XB70, I was able to say, you know, I, I have an extremely efficient power system here, and I'm going to use that to my advantage because the airplane overall is not very efficient for a model. But by using a fan system that's efficient, it's going gonna, it's gonna to allow me to fly this airplane for six to seven minutes, which probably wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but now I can do it. That was one of the advantages for me in, in making that project is that with current technology, an airplane that wouldn't have been able to compete several years ago is now able to fly for the length of time and to have the performance that would be convincing in a scale competition. You mentioned earlier some of your history using Schubler technologies for your EDF jets, uh, and I know that you've used Schubler EDF jets on at least two of your projects, including your XB70 Valkyrie supersonic scale electric jet and your current U2 electric jet project you're working on. Can you elaborate a bit more on the scope of both of these projects and just, you know, fill the listening audience in a little bit on what your vision was for them and uh, where they were, you know, in, intended to fly and uh, participate in the broader community? So let's start with the XB-70. The XB-70 project, when, when I think back about how it got started, it, it was really, it was really by chance. I had grown up and I had lived primarily in California and I 
moved to Dayton, Ohio for work. And Dayton, Ohio happens to be the home of the, the Wright brothers and the home of the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force, who has the one remaining full-size XB-70 in the world. While I was aware of the XB-70, that was, you know, I was, I was looking forward to seeing it at the museum, but I wasn't expecting much more than that. And it really, seeing it in person gave me a completely different perspective for the the size and the complexity of this aircraft and um, what a significant contribution it had to aviation as a whole. It was at that point when I saw it, I thought to myself, it would be incredible to make an RC version of this scale jet. At the time, my, my goal was simply to get one to fly. That, that, would have been, that would have been wonderful just to have one. Just not many modelers have XB-70s. There's been some small kits that have been sold, but they were not extremely detailed and didn't really represent the, the full impact of the full scale. I ended up speaking to a friend in California who had in the past built one because I was thinking of scratch building one. And he told me, he's like, you know, this, this plane that I have, this XB-70, it's in the basement, it's crashed. I'm probably not going to ever work on it again. Would you be interested? And thought about it. And I said, that, that, would, be, that would be incredible. It would give me um, a jump start on the project. He built it, but he never personally flew it. He didn't have any recommendations on the controls, the, the balance point, and the plane needed some significant repairs. And so uh, I brought it to Ohio and I spent a year restoring it and making changes to it. Essentially gutted it and reinstalled everything and made some structural changes to it. One of those changes was cutting the nose off and making the nose bolt on so that it would be able to fit in a car for transportation. It was, it was too long to fit in an expedition at the time. I spoke to Daniel Schubler at an event and he was very interested in the airplane and the project. And he was extremely helpful in providing advice on what fan units might be appropriate for this model and what it would take to get an endurance of six to seven minutes for scale competition. So Schubler fans were the go-to and they would provide the, the longest flight time that I could get with the, with the room that I had for batteries. Plane maidened in, uh, I believe, early 2017 and flew in Top Gun in May of 2017 for the first time. And uh, it, was, it was quite a, an education. So before I ever flew that XB-70, I actually built a smaller one uh, to test all of the balance points, all of the control throws, and to get an idea for what this unique airplane felt like in the air. And it, it is unique. It, it does not fly like other conventional airplanes. And for about three years, there were steady refinements made to the model, changing where the wheels were located for example, changing the, the control throws for uh, a more realistic flight. Additionally, adding a parachute like the real one. So when it lands, 
there's a parachute that comes out the back to slow it down on landing. Additionally, it had a stabilization system on it, and that helped to, it would fight wind gusts, and it would help stabilize a model that is very susceptible to any wind or any adverse conditions, and that stabilizer will actually soften that in the air. So um, the pilot doesn't even know that it's happening. It is just working and it's keeping the airplane on the same course. And so that takes some dialing in. But because those fan units were working so well, that was never an issue. So we were able to focus in on these other parts of the project to make it do better for competition. And I don't think if it, if it wasn't for a competition, I probably would have never pushed to make it fly to the extent that, that we did. All right, let's get that same kind of context for your U2 project, which uh, is actually going to be competing here in 2020 at the upcoming Top Gun Invitational. Uh, we'll get into that Invitational here in a little bit. But yeah, break down that U2 electric project and why you're going with Schubler's EDF jets for these designs and how they've impacted both look and performance. The, the U-2, the Lockheed U-2C that I'm currently working on is a design by a modeler um, whose name is Renee Sines. He worked on this project for several years and it was a composite project. So he worked developing a plug and then making composite molds for the Lockheed U-2C. The C is a variant of the U-2. And he was extremely passionate about this model. The quality of the work that he did was incredible. It has thousands and thousands of rivets, which represent the full-scale rivets on the airplane, both on the wing and the fuselage. In addition, there's panel lines on it for where the, the panel, the metal panels on the U-2 meet up. And these are all preserved in the molds that he made. Unfortunately, uh, Rene passed away and he never got to see his model completed. And I have been given the, the honor to take this project and complete it as, as Rene would have liked. And that's really been my motivation working on this. He, through the internet, many modelers were able to follow this project and it was inspiring. Not many can uh, be so devoted and stick with something for so long. And it is of Top Gun quality without a doubt. So this is, this is an opportunity to show what Renee did. And what I've done is taken Renee's molds and make the first flying uh, U2C from his molds. And I've been working on it now for about three months. And three months actually uh, doesn't sound very long. And that's, that's a testament to all of the work that he put in, which allowed the first model to be made this quickly and of Top Gun quality. And it was designed around a 120 millimeter fan unit. And for for any ducted fan, a seven minute flight time uh, is not easy. It, even, even for something like a U2, which has a very long high aspect ratio wing, you still need to be able to have 
the batteries, but you need to be able to handle all of the additional scale features that the real one would have. Um, that includes the retracts, the gear doors, the flaps, the, the cockpit with the pilot, things like that. And in scale competition, they're not only judging the airplane on the ground, but they're also judging how realistic does it look in the air. And for jets, a component of that is how does it sound? And there is nothing that sounds like a Schubler fan. Uh, the, the sound is so realistic. It, it's such a pleasant sound and it's always appreciated by spectators. So when it came to powering this, there was really no question because in scale top competition, there's really a perspective that for you to do well, you need to have that turbine sound for a jet. And the Schubler fans sound like a turbine. Like I mentioned, you take your jets to competition, and one of the big ones coming up is the Top Gun Invitational, where top-of-their-class RC pilots and designers are selected to compete for prizes and cash, and the whole event is invite-only. And, um, you know, there's a coveted title of Mr. Top Gun, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Obviously, you've been invited, which is fantastic. Congratulations. And in 2017, you received an award for special recognition for your XB70, and in 2018, you won fifth place expert class with said XB70. So now in 2020, like I mentioned, you're entering with your new U2 jet model. What has been one of your more crucial design decisions on that project as you've crafted it for competition? And are there any pieces of advice when uh, designing these jets to compete versus just to fly for fun? You know, are there any pieces of advice for how to approach that uh, or any of the specific differentiators that uh, modelers should keep in mind? This Lockheed U2 will be entered in the expert category. What that means is that the model was built and flown by one individual. There are, there are other classes where the pilot can compete with an airplane that he did not build. One of the crucial challenges to this U2 up to this point, now we're speaking at a time where the, the plane has not yet been flown, so uh, the project is far from over. But in terms of the competition, the, the first component is the static judging and modeling your airplane after a full scale. And the U2 is a challenge because on one hand, many of them were painted black. We don't actually know what that paint was because the paint was supposed to be an early stealth paint that had radar absorbent technology to it. So one of my goals of this project was to do my best to document that paint scheme. And so that when I provide the, the judges with my documentation that I can give them something saying, this is the black paint from the U2. And what I was able to, to do for this project was um, obtain a piece of a U2 that had crashed and it was authenticated. And this is a real piece of the U2 and it's black paint. And so this will be provided to the judges and that they will be able to take this piece and place it up next to the model and identify that, yes, this model is painted to match the paint on a real U2. And that's an important part of the judging in the overall competition because 50% of each round 
is your static score. And the other 50% is your flight score. And so for you to lose even as much as one point can separate the difference between, you know, first and fifth place. And so every, every little aspect of the details of the aircraft need to be well documented to convince the judges that you've done your homework. That's something that I have been trying to add to this model. Additionally, the, the U-2C pilots had a unique flight suit. It was an early pressure suit designed for high altitude. It was really, it wasn't an astronaut suit, although that's similar to what they fly with now. But the early pilots used this, it was, it was like a partial pressure suit. And there is a, a company named uh, uh, Best Pilots who helped me to design a pilot so that he will be in there and that will be part of the overall craftsmanship score when they judge the airplane that even the pilot will match what the the pilots in the 1950s and 60s flying the U2s would look like. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how the U2 model competes along the others on the Top Gun Invitational. We might have to bring you back on afterwards to get a recap. Uh, but here as we start to wrap up the conversation, I want to end uh, with some future-focused perspectives, one of them being looking for a little advice. So I know it can take years for modelers to build these scale jets in the first place. And usually modelers continue to refine their jets year after year. They're an ongoing project and they're a labor of love. So do you have any advice for how modelers should approach that long process so that it remains rewarding? When you have to do it for so long, I'm sure, you know, even when it is fun, some of the labor can get a little tiring. So how have you approached it, you know, framed your mindset to make sure that it's still a rewarding process, even if they're approaching it for years and years? I don't think there's a better time to get in this hobby, personally. There are complex model airplanes that are now available right out of the box. For example, if if you like an F-18 Hornet or you want an F-14 Tomcat, you can go out and purchase one from, from readily available manufacturers. And the reason that I bring that up is because I think the most important part of this hobby is to keep it fun. And if it's fun, you'll keep coming back. If you get overwhelmed and take on something that's over too much for you or makes you feel like you know that this is this is too much or it's too time consuming or uh, it's taking too much financial costs then you know you're going to find something new and with this hobby there's no reason why you have to take that project on now you can go out and purchase an airplane and uh, if you want you can just assemble it right out of the box and go fly it and have fun if you want to make it unique and put on your own paint scheme. Why not? You can do that. It's, it's not going to take you a year to do that, but that'll allow you to go to the field with something that's unique and not everybody will have that, or at least not that paint scheme. And if you're interested in having, you know, the, the highest performance of any jet at the field, well, you can go and research fans and technology and what's the latest and the greatest and try to upgrade your jet. And I think those small additions 
are what make the hobby fun and make each project something to look forward to. And that's a huge part of this hobby. And, and what I enjoy about it is that half the fun is envisioning what you want your model to either look like or perform like and making that happen, making that dream a reality. And I think if you keep that in mind, you're never going to stop loving the hobby. Love it. Nice and grounded. All right, Brett, we're almost done here. One more question for you. So since modelers are constantly upgrading their jets, and since that is part of what makes the hobby engaging, at least for you, what are some technologies on the horizon that you imagine will draw a lot of attention for both hobbyists and competitors in the space, and why? That's a great question. There are a lot of changes going on in the hobby right now that I can't fully appreciate, but you can just feel it. For example, 3D grown parts and CAD designing and people, modelers being able to grow model airplanes in their house with their own 3D printers or growing their own pilots or making their own landing gear. It's opening up the hobby because you're not limited by manufacturers anymore for those who are interested and enjoy that process. I don't personally have that experience, but it's inspiring to see what people are doing and how resourceful they can be. And I see that as something that will change the way that modelers build their airplanes. I grew up where airplanes were primarily built from balsa wood and you glued them together or you used, you know, you used pins to, to glue them while they were on the plans. And that kind of has evolved into fiberglass airplanes. And then foam airplanes started to take a large market share. In fact, they are, they are, I would say, the most common things to see at a flying field now are foam airplanes. But 3D printed are, are maybe that next, that next material that airplanes are made out of. And there's a lot of room to grow on them but they are becoming stronger. They're, the designs are better. Um, people are figuring out what works and what doesn't, and they're becoming more complicated. That's definitely one thing. Additionally, there's still an evolution going on with fan technology. And 20 years ago, a modeler didn't care what the ducted fan sounded like if their airplane flew. They used to sound like a, a hairdryer with a very high-pitched sound, and now we are very refined. We want that turbine sound with the performance and the reliability. In addition to that, I am hoping that you know the power systems, the lithium-powered aircraft, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe there's a next new type of battery technology that would allow us to have an even more concentrated power source for less weight. Um, and that, that one's kind of me just keeping my fingers crossed, but I think that will happen with time. So those are some of the things that I see. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of other things that are going on in the background that, you know, we'll, we'll find out when they decide to release it. But those are things that are going to become available to the modelers. Just I, I don't think it's going to take very many years for that to happen. All right, Brett Becker, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Again, Brett is an expert and award-winning model aviator with over 30 years of experience in the field. Brett, I appreciate all the time you've given us. And uh, if folks want to follow along with your 
uh, model aviation journey. Where can they go online to give you a follow or to keep up with some of your work? Well, there's um, there's ducted fan groups on Facebook. There's also forums on RC groups and RC Universe, where modelers come together to share their projects. Fantastic. Brett Becker, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure getting to chat today. Thank you so much, Daniel. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of the Market Scale Technology Podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're going to our website, marketscale.com slash industries, and subscribing to our various podcast channels on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For a full breakdown of those channels, you can find that on our Podcast Network tab on our publications page. So thanks again, everyone, for listening to today's episode. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.